Hi, I'm Jason Hoy, lead pastor of Cedar Crest Bible Fellowship Church. I just wanted to thank you for listening to our sermons. We are located in Allentown, Pennsylvania, and our mission is to glorify the triune God by exalting Him, edifying and equipping His church, and evangelizing the world with His gospel. Visit cedarcrest.church to learn more about who we are and what we believe. I want to start with a word of prayer, and then we'll get into it. Thank you. Father, I'm uh, again overwhelmed at the reality that I am about to preach your word. I recognize, Father, uh, that that is a privilege on the one hand and a great responsibility on the other. And I also uh, confess to you and acknowledge that I am not sufficient for the task. And so I ask, Father, that you would help me to get out of the way of your word, that people would not be entertained or amused or that they would not leave feeling like I am a good speaker or anything like that, Father, but the impression that they would leave with is that God has met them in his word. So, Lord, will you do that for the sake of your name? Will you open eyes and ears so that we are all on the course that you have called us to? Will you do things that are supernatural, Father, that only you can do by your Spirit, changing desires, changing hearts, changing careers, changing directions? Will you do that for the sake of your name among the nations, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So the name of the conference you've already heard is Missions Adrift, and today's focus is Know the Course. And by the end of the sermon, I hope you will know the course. And along with that, I hope that you will embrace the course. Embrace it in your life and that you would actually orient your life in line with this course. That's actually a really huge expectation. So don't let that statement go by. I recognize the ambition that I have in this sermon is tremendous that you would hear something about this course, and that you would actually orient your whole life towards it. And so the only way that that's possible is that you see who God is, how glorious He is this morning, how glorious the path is that He's given you, and that He would work by His Spirit through His Word, that you might join, that you might embrace and live your life according to this course. There is no set of courses that God has given us, this is the course. It's the mission. And so I can speak to everyone in the room and say, it is for you. It's not that we have multiple courses in this world. We have a course to follow. And so I want you to see how significant it is and how important it is that you would follow this course. In fact, this, this course that we're talking about is actually rooted in God's purpose for all of creation. That's how big what we're talking about is. Before the foundation of the earth, this was the course. And we are to join it with our hearts and with our efforts, with our possessions, with our lives, in every way that we can. So I want to answer, I want to ask three questions today. They're interrelated. And I think by the end you'll see how this will give us the course that we're looking for. They're actually really basic foundational questions. But sometimes the most basic essential questions in the world 
are not actually thought about very often. There are people all over the world who are living their lives, doing their things, going to work, coming home, buying what they need, living their lives without ever answering or even pondering these significant questions, although they are foundation, foundational to our lives. So the first question is, what is God's goal for creation? What is God's goal for creation? Or in the words of this conference, what is the destination of this course that we're talking about? Where are we headed? And the Bible's answer is straightforward. God's goal for creation is that it would be filled with His glory. He created the world for His glory. Chapter 1, verse 27-28 of Genesis says this, So God created man in His own image. In the image of God He created him. Male and female He created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God created man in His own image. In the ancient Near East and in many parts of the world today, idols are made and placed in the temple to reflect the character of the God. We, we see these images, these idols in different places in the world, and we may think that the people actually believe those are the gods. But the reality is those images are there to reflect the nature of the God. And so people come to reflect on who the God is and then worship Him in the temple. But our God, He is too great, too grand, too glorious for any human-made temple. The universe is our God's temple. And you are His images who are to fill the earth so that the world is filled with the glory of God. You are to be a reflection, a mirror of God's glory so that the earth is filled with His glory. That is the purpose. That is the end for which God has created the world. We are to fill the earth reflecting His glory. Numbers chapter 14, verse 21 says this, Truly as I live and as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. Or Psalm 72, verse 19, Blessed be the glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with the glory of the Lord. Psalm Isaiah 6, 3, before the angels, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. It's a prophetic vision of what the world will be in the end. Filled with the glory of God. And Habakkuk 2.14, another prophecy, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. God created the world for the sake of His glory. That you and I as images of God would fill the earth and reflect His glory. And you may hear this and think, isn't that selfish and illegitimate of God to expect that everyone would bring Him glory? That He would actually create all of us so that He could receive glory? Does it seem selfish or illegitimate for God to do that? Does it seem wrong that God is some sort of egomaniac that He deserves the glory of all people? 
But it is not illegitimate. And it is not selfish. If I desire that you reflect my glory, that you worship me, that would be an illegitimate desire. I don't deserve that kind of homage. I don't deserve that kind of glory. I'm not made for that. It would be wrong for you. But it's not illegitimate to give God glory because He is infinitely worthy. It's really a statement of the fact that God is glorious. We're to give Him glory because He deserves glory. He's worthy of it. Revelation 4.11 says, Worthy are You, O Lord, and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For You created all things, and by Your will they existed and were created. Doesn't it make sense that the Creator who created all of us should receive the honor for doing so? And it's not selfish that God would desire this. If I desired that You would praise Me, that would be selfish. It would be selfish because it would be something for Me to Your own bad consequences. In other words, it would be bad for You to worship Me. And that would be selfish. But for God to desire You to give Him glory, that's good for You. It's right. Your greatest pleasure, your greatest joy, comes in giving God worship and glory. You are created for this. And when your life aligns with God's purpose for your life, you will experience joy like no other. And so God is not selfish for commanding that we glorify Him. He is inviting us to enjoy Him and His glory. Psalm 27.4 says this, One thing have I asked of the Lord. One thing that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. The psalmist says, this is what I want more than anything. It's to gaze. It's to worship the beauty of the Lord. So I want to restate what is the goal that God has for all of creation. It is that it would be filled with all His glory. Creation would be filled with the glory of God and reflect who He is. So the second related question is then what is the glory of God? Aren't these foundational questions? Why are we here? Why is there something instead of nothing? Why do you exist? It's a foundational question. And the answer is to bring glory to God. And then the follow-up question is, what is the glory of God? We toss it around. We sing about it as Christians. But what is the glory of God? And the Word in the Scriptures connotes the idea of weight or heaviness. And the idea is that God is weighty in beauty. He is heavy in splendor. He is infinitely weighty. He is infinitely significant, infinitely important. It is His splendor, His beauty, His worth, His value. God is weighty. He is glorious. And He desires that all people, all nations, all tribes would reflect that glory. A great place to go to learn about the glory of God in the Scriptures is Exodus 33:18-19 and following. You don't have to turn there yet. I'm going to ask you to turn to Exodus, Exodus 34 in just a second if you want to go there.
So in 33, 18, and 19, Moses asked God to see his glory. I mean, I just think about this question that Moses asked. Can I see your glory, God? So I think this is actually a great place to learn what the glory of God means because Moses is asking the question, I want to see your glory. What's it like? And God responds by telling him that he's going to make his goodness pass before him. And he will proclaim his name. So we learn something about God's glory just in that statement that the glory of God is seen in God's goodness and His name, His character is part of that glory. It's an element of that glory. And then in Exodus chapter 34, verse 5, God proclaims His name and then verse 6 says this, The Lord passed before Him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. Have you ever read that that way, that Moses asked to see the glory and then God passes by him and proclaims his name and then gives this statement? The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious. He forgives, but He doesn't clear the guilty. He forgives, and He shows mercy, but He doesn't clear the guilty. And He visits, meaning in judgment, the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children. So there are two primary aspects of God's goodness. His glory. And those two aspects are that God is a God who saves. He shows mercy. And God is a God who judges. Moses asked to see God's glory. And God proclaims His name and reveals Himself to be a God who saves and a God who judges. He's a God who saves. He is merciful, the text says. He cares for humans and shows them mercy when they are hurting or in need. He is gracious. He gives people things they do not deserve. He's slow to anger. He's patient with people. He abounds in steadfast love. He has a loyal love for His people. He's not fickle and He keeps His covenants. He's faithful, trustworthy, and true. And He keeps steadfast love for thousands. His love for generations. And He forgives iniquity and transgression and sin. He is a merciful God. He's a God who delivers. A God who saves. And He is a God who judges. He will by no means clear the guilty. God does not clear the guilty because He is a just judge. We don't respect judges who do not bring judgment, righteous judgment upon a, a, a disobedience to a law. God is just. He will not clear the guilty. He visits the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Just because He may have judged the generation before you, for their sin does not mean He will not judge your generation for your sin. God judges because He is a just judge. So God's glory is seen in His goodness. And that goodness has two primary aspects that we see in the Scriptures. 
Salvation and judgment. God is a God who saves, and God is a God who judges. He shows mercy. He's gracious. He's slow to anger. But He's holy, and He does not clear the guilty. I want you to see how important this concept, this revealing of God's glory is in the rest of the Scriptures. So I'm just going to read these passages to you, and I want you to hear the echo of Exodus chapter 34 in these passages, and there are many more that I won't read. Exodus chapter 20, verses 4 through 6 in the Ten Commandments. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You hear the echo there? He visits iniquity with judgment and he shows steadfast love. Or Numbers 14, 18. The Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression. He's God who saves, but he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 8 through 11. Again, a repetition of the Ten Commandments. You shall not make for yourself a carved image. For I, the Lord, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes him in vain. God is the God who saves, and God is the God who judges. Finally, Nahum chapter 1. The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on His adversaries and keeps wrath for His enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power. And the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. His ways in the world where it wind and storm and the clouds are the dust of His feet. Over and over again, the goodness of God in these aspects is revealed in the Old Testament. God is the God who saves and God is the God who judges. Read your Old Testament again and think of these two concepts and recognize how often it is displayed throughout the Scriptures that God is the God who saves and God is the God who judges. This is His glory manifested to humanity. That He is both a merciful God and a just God. Now I want you to turn with me to Romans chapter 2. Let's look in the New Testament. The same two aspects of God's glory are spoken of in the New Testament as well. In Romans chapter 2, verse 3, it states, Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works. 
to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking, do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also to the Greek, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. God is God who saves. God is God who judges. Now turn with me to chapter 3, verse 19 of Romans. Chapter 3, verse 19 of Romans. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption in Christ Jesus, whom God put forth as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness. Here, God's goodness. This was to show God's glory, His goodness, because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness, His goodness at the present time, so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. So that He can be just and the justifier. He's a God who saves and He's a God who judges. And the cross is the supreme Revelation of that glory. God is glorified in the cross because it shows God to be a God who saves and a God who judges. It's a brilliant display of His glory. I don't know how you think about your sin and how you think about forgiveness. It is not true that our sin goes unpunished. It is not true that our sin goes unpunished. Every single sin that you have committed, every single sin that you will commit, every sin that I have committed, every sin that I will commit, it goes under judgment. God cannot just clear the guilty like you didn't do anything. God can't just look over the sin or He wouldn't be just. He is just. There aren't any unpunished sins. So how will God display His glory and mercy? If you and I are guilty, and God is just, how is God going to show mercy to us? Because He doesn't just clear the guilty. And the answer that the Bible gives here in Romans chapter 3 is Christ will be your substitute. And the judgment for your sins will not go unpunished. It will go upon Christ Himself on the cross. So that God might display mercy to you and me. He is a glorious God. He does not just clear guilt away as if it was nothing or He gets over it. 
He would not be just. He meets it out in the person of His Son on the cross. And there is no greater picture, there is no greater display, no greater demonstration of the glory of God as a Savior and a judge than in the cross of Jesus Christ. We sang it in a song earlier this morning where mercy and justice meet in the cross. Justice and mercy meet. Our guilt is not small. We have sinned against our Creator. And our sin is against an infinite and eternal God. It's not against, just against another person. Of course our sin is often against other people. But more than that, our sin is against God. And God is infinite. Infinitely holy. And so we do not deserve mercy. And mercy is not just handed out. The only way we receive mercy is by Christ's death on the cross in our place. And so God's glory is displayed in the cross of Christ. He is crucified in the place of the guilty so that they might be forgiven. So God is a God who saves and God is a God who judges. Have you reflected on that this morning that you and I deserve this judgment? That God does what is right. And what is right is to punish wrongdoing and sin. And yet He made a way that He might show His glory and mercy by subjecting His Son to the very punishment that you and I deserve. So the first question is, was, what is God's goal for creation? And the answer was that His glory would fill the earth. God's goal for creation is that His glory would fill the earth. And the second question is, or was, what is the glory of God? If God's goal for creation is that His glory would fill the earth, what is glory? And the answer is, it's His goodness as seen in His salvation and judgment. He shows Himself to be perfect in His salvation and judgment. And that glory is especially demonstrated in the cross of Jesus Christ. So, when the Gospel is preached, the Word of Jesus Christ's death and resurrection is proclaimed, God's glory is then proclaimed. How, why has God created the earth that He might fill the earth with His glory and His glory is that He is a God who saves and a God who judges? That's seen most distinctly and brilliantly in the cross. And so when you and I proclaim the Gospel of Jesus Christ, we are spreading God's glory wherever we go. The Gospel says exactly this. God is a just God. You deserve judgment. But Jesus has died in your place. And if you place your faith in Him, God will show you His mercy. And every time we proclaim it to an individual, we're spreading God's glory. So the question number three that I've already gotten into is, how will the glory of God fill the earth? If that's God's goal, how will it fill the earth? Or in other words, what's the course that leads to this destination of God's glory? And the answer is 
through the preaching of the gospel to the nations. In other words, through missions. That's the reason for missions. Missions is to fill the earth with God's glory. If God's goal is that His glory will fill the earth and the glory seen in the cross, then His goal will be accomplished as we go and we proclaim to the nations, God is good. He is glorious. He is just and He is merciful. God's glory will fill the earth. And whether that glory comes in judgment or whether that glory comes in salvation, God will be glorified. The end will come. It will be met. The destination will be arrived at. Those who reject the Gospel will show God to be glorious in His judgment. Those who embrace the Gospel by faith will show that God is glorious in His mercy. He is glorious. So the supreme goal of missions is the same goal that God has for all creation, including you and me. They aren't different. Missions isn't a sideline. It's not for those who are interested in world travel. Missions aligns perfectly with God's goal for creation. It is the filling of the earth with His glory. And He is worthy of it. He is worthy. And you, you and I need to believe that more than anything if we are to follow this course, if we are to know it. That God is glorious. That He is worthy. You are to experience His mercy in a deep way again this morning. Reflect on it. That if God had only, if God had not sent Jesus on the cross, we would experience His glory in judgment. But now we can proclaim His mercy to everyone who trusts in Him. Psalm 96, 3-6 says this very statement, Declare His glory among the nations. Declare His glory among the nations. His marvelous works among all peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before Him. Strength and beauty are in His sanctuary. That's why Paul says in Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, these words, I am not ashamed of the Gospel. If it's God's glory, if it's a telling, a proclaiming of God's glory, be not ashamed of the Gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness, that is the goodness of God, is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. God's glory is to be proclaimed to the ends of the earth. You are an image of God. You have been created for this purpose. If you're a young person or an old person here and you wonder, what's the meaning of my life? I actually have the answer for you. The meaning of your life is to bring glory to God by proclaiming His goodness through the Gospel. It's the meaning of your life. Every other question that you might ask in reference to the meaning of your life is subordinate to that one. If you're graduating from college and you want to know what you should do in life, the chief question is, how might I use my life, my gifts, my skills, my resources to fill the earth with God's glory? It brings clarity. If you're in a career right now, if you ask the question, 
What am I supposed to do here? What am I supposed to use with my resources? Where am I supposed to move? What should we buy? What should we do? Subordinate to the question of how can I glorify God with what He has given me? And if you're in retirement or heading that way, it's the same question and the same answer. How do I use the life that God has given me to bring Him glory? It is the meaning of your life. and is the goal of God's creation. And you will find the greatest joy in doing so. No matter the cost. So I want you to think about the course. I want to give you hope and sort of point forward to what this will look like in the future. Revelation 21, verses 22 through 27 says this, I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. The city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. Why? For the glory of God gives it light. And the lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations. God is a God who saves, and this is the goal for His creation. But, nothing unclean will ever enter it. Nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. There will be people outside the gates who will glorify God in eternity, showing the judgment of God. And there will be people inside the gates who have trusted in the cross of Christ and have received the mercy, the gracious, glorious mercy of our Father. So if God's goal for creation is that, you would, that it would be filled with your glo- His glory, then God's goal for you is that you would participate in it. How is it that you can participate in it? How can you be on this course? One, I would say if you haven't trusted in Christ this morning, Trust Him now. Recognize it's the nature of God that He is just. You wouldn't want any other God. You don't want to hear the news in Israel and think God is not just. Justice will come. God is just. He's just upon your life also. So if you have sinned, God can't just overlook it. He has to judge it. And you have a choice right now. God can either judge it on the cross of Christ on your behalf, or He can judge you for eternity. Either way, God's glory will be shown. So trust in Him. His glory is your purpose. Search no more for joy and pleasure in your sin, find it by faith in Christ and see the glory of God for the first time. He is like no other. He is just and merciful. Flee from His justice to His mercy. Flee. If you hear this sermon and you recognize that God's just, can I just compel you with everything that's in me to say, flee from the justice. Flee from the justice. God will be just. 
but flee by faith to His mercy in Christ. And if you have trusted in Him, then you travel on this course by worshiping Him and rejoicing in Him. Rejoice in the glory of God in salvation and judgment. Marvel at God's infinite weightiness. Exalt Him in your heart and mind and ponder His greatness. We've grown accustomed in churches in the States to desire a relevant message that provides application for today. Can I say to you that the greatest application of the Bible is the worship of God? It may not feel like that because you ask the question, what should I do today? What should I do tomorrow? Or how should I live my life or interact with someone else? All legitimate questions. And yet, what is more applicable than any of it is to worship God. It is the end of the world. It's the means for which you were created. So when you do it, you are applying the Word of God faithfully. There will be a day when missions is no more. It is a means to an end. And the end is the glory of God. Contemplate Him. Rejoice and joy and love the glory of God. If you sat in this sanctuary for an hour after the service and just contemplated the mercy of God, you would be applying the sermon. Worship is the end. When you experience injustice in this world, give thanks that your God is just. When you see the injustice all around you, God is just. Allow the difficulties of this world to drive you toward worshiping Him in that way, seeing His glory. Do not hope to find justice in the world. The leaders of this world, your neighbor or even yourself, hope in Him. He cannot deny His glorious nature. And rejoice that He is a God of mercy. That He prefers mercy and has revealed it to you in Christ. So, third application, if God's glory is most clearly revealed through the Gospel, then you and I must proclaim it. Fulfill your purpose by filling the earth with God's glory through the proclamation of the Gospel. Fill your neighborhood with the glory of God. Do you realize you can do that? You, you were create, created for it and placed in the neighborhood for that reason. Your job in that neighborhood or your job at work, your role, is to fill it with the glory of God. And how do you do that? You preach the good news. You preach the Gospel. And you tell people, my God is glorious. He's just, but He also saves. He's made a way that He can show both. Will you trust Him? Fill your workplace, fill your school with the glory of God by proclaiming it. Be so overwhelmed at the beauty and majesty of God that you boast in Him. Compel them to look to Christ and His work and see His glory. And then reflect the glory of God in your life by living in accordance with the Gospel. You be a just person. You be a merciful person. You be a forgiving person. You be a gracious person. You be someone someone who is honest and trustworthy. You be someone who's loyal. Reflect God's glory in your character and align your life with His goal that the earth would be filled with His glory. Consider how you might give yourself your time, your resources to the goal for which you were created. And then I'll close with this desire, this request, this goal. I pray that someone, I hope that someone 
through this conference will decide to go. There are places in the world who have not. They've only seen the glory of God enough to damn them. They've seen the glory of God in His creation, that He's wise and that He's powerful. But that's not sufficient to save. That's not sufficient for them to see the mercy of God. It has to be proclaimed to them. They have to see God and then worship Him in His glory. And there are places who have never heard where there is no witness to God's glory. And so the work is undone. It's unfinished. So I pray that someone would go, or more than one would go. Missions is the hardest thing that I have ever done in my life. And it's the greatest thing that I've ever done in my life. It's the greatest joy I've ever had was to be a missionary. I heard a quote one time, don't, don't feel sorry for missionaries. Don't, don't pity them. Envy them. The point is, your pleasure, your joy, your worshiping, your rejoicing, it comes when you do what you were built to do. What you were made to do, proclaim the gospel of those who haven't heard. Can you imagine the privilege of saying to someone who's never heard for the first time, there's a God who created everything, including you, and He's just, and He's merciful. Trust in Jesus and His work on the cross, His resurrection on your behalf, so that you might glorify Him for eternity as a person who has known mercy. Will you consider going? And those of you who don't go, it's still your mission. Evangelism in your neighborhood and support of missionaries around the world. I used to be embarrassed to ask people for support. I'm no longer embarrassed by that. It's the glory of God to the nations. And so, give your money to missionaries. So they can go testify to the goodness of God around the world. Let's pray. Father, will you help us all to see your glory again this morning? Afresh. You help us to align our lives with the goal that you have for our lives. We sang this morning a prayer to you. Hope of our heart, all creatures of our God and King, lift up your voice and with us sing. Alleluia. Let all things their Creator bless and worship Him in humbleness. Oh, praise Him. Alleluia. Father, I pray that You would answer that prayer, that all creatures of our God and King would bring You glory throughout the earth, that You would use us and everything we have to fill the earth with Your glory because You are worthy and You are good. You are just and You are merciful. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you are already placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, We hope these messages strengthen your walk with Him. If you don't have a church, we'd encourage you to get involved in one or even come and check out Cedar Crest. 
But if you're listening and haven't submitted to Christ as Lord of your life, we hope after listening you're convicted to turn from your sin and place your trust in Him so that you may be saved. You can reach out to us at info at cedarcrest.church and we'd love to tell you about Him. God bless you and I pray that you live to make much of Christ.